Hi, Sarah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Sarah Murray. It's early, but good morning. But we're here. We're bringing a lot of Kramy energy, so oh, that's what's goodness, important. Kramy. Tell them what Kramy is, Heather. <laughs> it is the craziest and best month of the year. Yes. So like some people like to celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah and things like that. And it's like, if you're an overwhelmed or disorganized person, Kreme is the holiday for you. <laughs> it's just madness. That's kind of what Kreme is. So how do you like to travel or how do you travel? How do I like to travel? I travel with a backpack and I travel cheaply. So <laughs> that's my preferred method of travel. I do not pack lightly, however. Most people advise you should pack lightly. I like options. I travel, I guess, on a whim. Traveling for me is something like, what's happening? I don't know. I'm going to go do it. And it's not very organized. It's not very well planned to my detriment sometimes. But you like the spontaneity. Yeah, I like I like the break in the routine, the break in the hamster wheel, I, I call it. Anything that gets me off the damn hamster wheel is A plus in my book. I also visit people a lot. So that's my traveling or that's the way I travel the most, I guess, is to people and not necessarily to destinations. I'd say 90% of the time it is because I am like going to see somebody that I care about and haven't seen in a while. So travel for fun, but for different purposes than people maybe typically think of when they think of traveling. It's not to see architecture or eat some food, but to hang out with people you care about. Okay, I have a pet peeve about people who travel for food. <laughs> and the pet peeve, I'm sorry, you didn't ask for this rant, but it's seven in the morning and you're getting it. So let's hear it. <laughs> I hate it when people travel for food. Like, okay, I get food is a huge part of a culture, right? And like, you want to experience the whole thing when you're traveling. But it pisses me off because people go and like sit down in a restaurant for like two hours or whatever and they do this multiple times over their stay like if you're gonna do it once all right but that's several hours that you're just sitting there and doing the same thing you do at home which is talk to your travel person or whatever and then you could have been doing something else right I would rather just pack up some food and take it with me and like walk around a lot or whatever. So I don't do that. I don't travel like that. I think it has to do with what you value though, because if you value food, then that is exciting to you. Like that's what you came for. And those two hours are really important to you. But to you, if you value seeing people, someone else might argue, I spent two hours just hanging out at my friend's house instead of going and seeing the city or whatever. But to you, that would be a valuable two hours, it sounds like. That's true. I do like travel and see people instead of the city. So that's a fair rebuttal, I yeah. accept. But at the same time, I can't shake it when like I personally don't like to travel that way. So I don't travel well with people who do travel that way. <laughs> I just kind of like abandon you at the restaurant, <laughs> make my own way. And that's good to know about yourself. I'm also not really a person who travels for food. I really enjoy food when I travel and I don't mind once in a while sitting down at a nice restaurant or just eating food that's really local that's my favorite part but a lot of times that tends to be street food or something that actually doesn't take very much time yeah street food I can do and I like street food because it tends to be quick cheap on the go food yeah and it can be really unique too but it's good to know that yes if you travel with someone who is gonna spend two to three hours in a restaurant for every meal and that is annoying to you it's like I still respect you as a person but we should probably find different activities to do during those time frames or find other people to travel with. Yes.
So you are not new to traveling, but you've told me about your times that you've made mistakes while traveling. Yes, the travel fuck-ups. Okay. Can you elaborate? Uh, When I was a noob to traveling, which was in 2011, never traveled anywhere. My family isn't a traveling family, so we never had the money to go on vacations or anything like that. So my parents didn't really have any like traveling wisdom to impart on me because it wasn't in their culture either. (laughs) So (laughs) basically my whole family got together and threw a party for me before I left for England. And I have a really big fucking family. Like we're all Mexican and I don't know why that means we're a big family, but But it means we're a big family. (laughs) So we had a party at my house and my entire family pitched in to help send me to England. So that's another reason I was on a budget because I was living off of my part-time gig in Arizona where I did not make much money. So like I went to the study abroad orientation that ASU held because I needed some info and I wasn't going to get it anywhere else. So you have some info on paper, but that's not the same, like you said, as someone imparting true on-the-road travel wisdom to you. Yes. So here's how my little brain worked at the time. They told me to bring one suitcase to England because they're like, if you bring more than one, you're going to have a really hard time managing to and from the airport. You're going to want to bring stuff back. So you really shouldn't pack a whole lot going because you're going to buy things. And I was like, Mm -hmm. all right, that sounds reasonable. So logical. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like you give me parameters and I'm going to like test those parameters in every way (laughs) possible. So I went and I found the biggest fucking suitcase in the world. You would have to check this sucker as an overly large item. (laughs) if you had it filled to the max. Could I fit in this suitcase? You could fit in this suitcase. Arguably, we both could fit at the same time (laughs) in this suitcase. It is massive. If you think of the normal large suitcase, right? So if you've got like your your typical three sizes, you've got your Mm carry-on, then you've got like a step up from that, right? Yeah, like an in-between weird size. I don't know who uses those, but it's like you're either going to use the big size for checking a bag or carry-on. You think of a large suitcase and then mine is bigger than that. Mine could eat that for dinner. (laughs) It's massive. So I was like, one suitcase. Yeah. And I like shoved everything in there. I also bought an electric blanket. Nice. I love electric blankets. (laughs) Who packs an electric blanket and takes it to England with them? I did. I was like, oh, it's going to be cold. Yeah. Got to stay warm. Which was great in theory, right? Arguably great in theory. I get there. There's nobody in the building because everyone else is on holiday still. So you just arrived to your dorm in England? My dorm in England. So I get on the plane and I'm just like, all right, I'm going. And I really didn't mentally, because I've never traveled before. So I I didn't feel any different. It was just like, I got up that morning and went to England. Like, I'm doing a thing. Yeah, I'm doing a thing. I was like knitting a scarf on the way because I had been making a scarf the week before and I was finishing it up in the car and my parents were like, all right, we got to go. And I was like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. (laughs) I tied it off. I finished it. And I was like, I finished my scarf. But at least in the car, I was thinking maybe you brought it onto the plane just to finish. Yeah, no, I could not. I didn't want to bring the utensils and stuff. So I had my giant suitcase and got to England, the caretaker. That's what they call the janitor manager person. There was nobody else there the front desk people were also gone the whole thing was empty you said they were on holiday or it was a weekend or something they were on like winter break or whatever but they call it holiday over there that's their terminology anyway their whole building was basically empty and so i get there a few days before the term's gonna start and caretaker lets me in the room gives me key and is like all right and then he just leaves and so i'm all alone i don't have a phone i don't have internet i don't have a map which was the worst like that travel fuck up number one do not you have to bring 
bring a map or something or like I guess now we have iPhones. Yeah, but pre-smartphone or even pre-Wi-Fi that you can get in most cafes nowadays. Yeah, so well, they did have Wi-Fi in a cafe. What I did was I went outside and wandered around until I found a collect call. I called home to let them know I was safe. And then I, the next day, I wandered around aimlessly and I would go into shops and be like, hey, do you know of a place I can get internet? I'm new here and I don't have a map. And they'd point me down the street and then I'd walk farther down the street and then I'd walk into another shop and be like, hey, I'm new here. Do you know of a place with internet? I don't have a map. (laughs) (laughs) I would do that until I found an internet cafe. I like your persistence. That's how you learn, right? Yeah. And so I found an internet cafe and was able to like update family via email a little bit more in detail and do a couple other things like look at the area more closely on a map and stuff like that. That was the next day and after I had arrived. So between my success at finding internet and arriving, there was a mishap where I blew a fuse <laughs> by plugging in my electric blanket, even though I had like an adapter and a converter. My room was freezing because it's England in January. Yeah. This was a really serious situation. I was so cold. I've never been that cold before. And you're coming from California. I'm coming from Los Angeles and then like fucking Arizona. So my body is used to sustaining itself in extreme heat but not an extreme cold. I didn't have culture shock yet. I had physical shock. <laughs> so I blew a fuse. The lights all went out. Oh, no. There was no heater or anything. Was this the first thing you did? You're like, I'm pretty cold. I'm going to plug my blanket in. After opening my suitcase and trying to put stuff places, but also it doesn't come pre, like there was a bed, but there wasn't sheets or anything. It was just the mattress. Did they tell you to bring sheets? Did you know that ahead of time? Yeah, I think they told us we were going to need to go and buy a set or something. Okay. So that must have also been why I brought my electric blanket. It was kind of a good thing I did, but also kind of a bad thing because I blew this fuse. So I also didn't know that the room had a heater under the desk. I found that three days later. Like, who puts a heater under a desk? I don't know. Gotta be warm while you're doing homework. Yeah. I wish I had found that the first night because then I could have been a little bit, like, it wouldn't have been as terrible of a first night as my first (laughs) night was. Because the lights are all out. They don't work. I don't have anything. It's cold at, like, 4 p.m. over there in January, and there's nobody in the building. You're alone in a cold building with no lights. I had to wait till the next day to go get the caretaker, but that was the worst night ever. Oh my goodness. So you had to just sit in your dorm for the whole and night? And freeze. Yeah, I kept getting up to take warm showers. I took multiple warm showers just to get warm. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. I threw all of my clothes on the bed because I was cold and there was no anything else other than my one blanket, right? That was like oh. a gift and a curse. And I was just like shivering under there. Yeah, it was terrible. Because the caretaker was gone for the day? I think so. Yeah. And there was no one else around because I had gone looking and then I couldn't find anything. This is like survival of the fittest in England. Yeah, it was super rough. So at that moment where you like, why did I do this? I've had moments where I'm like, did I get myself into this? Is this a decision I should have made? For me, it was I wasn't examining why I did this. I was examining all of my expectations. Mm -hmm. I hadn't really had a whole lot of them because I didn't have enough experience to have expectations at that point. So at that moment, I was like, I should have thought more about this. (laughs) That was like a big wake up call. Like, you're not a little bit underprepared. You were severely (laughs) 
out of your depth. It was the creamy equivalent in January, but travel edition. At least you weren't super pumped, right? If you didn't travel before and you're like, this is going to be the most amazing thing ever and you had high expectations, you would probably be in tears for the entire night. Oh yeah, I was in tears, but more just like, oh my God, what's happening? Like it was just a lot of confusion, concern, a little bit cold, actually a lot cold. It was like probably the raining feeling. (laughs) It was cold. Yeah, it was just like a nightmare. I didn't have the capacity at the time to self-examine what I should have done differently. Like, I mean, I knew I should have had a map. I didn't really understand what I could have done differently about the electricity. I was just like, why is there no caretaker? (laughs) Yeah, and it's too late. It's not like you can go buy a map during the night or go change the fuse after it blew. Yeah, I really didn't know where I was. So I had to wait until... I had to wait. Basically, I arrived on a Saturday. I had to wait till Monday till I could go to the campus and walk around and get a campus map and all that stuff. This was like a couple days of just lostness. Lost, lost Sarah. So, but to clarify, you got the electricity back the next day. You didn't have to wait the whole weekend for electricity, right? No, I did not. The next day I was able to get it. Yeah. So that was good. (laughs) And did your electric blanket work again? No, it was dead. So it was a regular blanket, but at least I had a regular blanket because I did not go and buy a comforter. Mm. I think I got sheets or something and a couple other blankets but I did not end up buying like a set or anything I just ended up relying mostly on the heater for the rest of my stay there that's good you sound like you got more suave at the setup yes I did so I figured that out but that was a big fuck up (laughs) I'm surprised you even continued on with travel or ever traveled again (laughs) because that's a pretty shocking occurrence to have happen on your first international trip I mean it sort of set the tone because I was stressed the entire time I was there being from Los Angeles and my parents being specifically from East LA, I was brought up to carry a knife and mace on my person, which is an extreme form of self-protection, but not as extreme as some, I guess. So going to England, I really felt naked without like protection. That's illegal over there. Yeah. But also no one else is carrying weapons. So that makes it inherently safer. It does. But in my brain, it's not quite the same because for me, that was how I set off the inequality of being a smaller person or whatever. Yeah. And if you're in the habit of having yeah, I was in the habit. I've gotten out of the habit since. I recognize that for the paranoia that was like foisted upon me. (laughs) There's like a serious American paranoia that just gets hypersensitive in the like inner city areas, which is where my parents are from. So I don't quite blame them. But also the whole time I was there, I was extra careful about how I came home and like who I was with. I was always traveling in a big group. I really didn't go a whole lot of places. I mean, in the city I did, but I didn't travel outside of Manchester where I was on my own, really. It was a very like anxiety ridden first venture. But I mean, I'm glad I went. I learned a lot about myself and I wouldn't trade it for anything. The experience I just now I know. Yeah. Hard one lessons how to do things differently if I ever went abroad again. Definitely. And you definitely grow from just learning how to walk around a different city and kind of hold yourself in a different place. Yeah, you don't want to like, well, first of all, you don't want to like out yourself as American because I mean, they do treat you a little bit differently, but more so like the arrogance that comes with American tourism we tend to just try and go places and own it and it's terrible so you could spot an American tourist from a mile away it's so bad certain ones I definitely can when I travel I'm like oh yeah. come on <laughs> what are you doing like oh it's just it's bad so carrying yourself in terms of not doing that but also like to acclimate more to the culture yeah just walking around like you know where you're going is one of the first things I learned the first time I went abroad even yeah. if you have no clue what you're doing just walk like you have a destination walk like you know what you're doing and where you're going and people won't look at you very weird and they will just assume
assume that you do live there and you do know what you're doing, even if inside you're completely lost. So a way that I learned how to do that, remember I didn't bring a map. So I had to like know where I was going while most definitely not knowing where I was even. So what I would do is I'd go from bus stop to bus stop and I'd look at the maps there. And so I never really liked to carry a map because I pulling a map out of your pocket makes you look even more like a tourist. Yeah. And it's awkward and uncomfortable. And you have to like, depending on the size of your map, like it might not store very well. When people are standing in city centers with huge maps, I mean, I totally understand. Maps are good and that's totally good to orient yourself, but it's just a huge target on your back. It is. It is. Do not do that. Yeah. But yeah, I would go and look at the bus stop maps. And so that's an easy way to orient yourself and look like you know what you're doing, but also actually figure out where you are. (laughs) Yeah. You're just catching a bus, just like a local. Exactly. So that's another tip. It's awesome to know travel tips, but I think even if someone had told you a lot of things before you left, it would not have sunk in. Yeah. You just have to learn by doing and then you never do them again. Just in the scarf before you want to plane, like I'm going to England. Like, yeah, there's no way I would have understood. I was not able to understand any tips at that time. Yeah, no way. Yeah. And it's hard to describe to someone what it's like to be in a different country if they've literally never gone to a different place. I know a lot of people who haven't really even left the state I grew up in. I mean, I live in a big city and my family is the same way. Like none of them have really left this area ever. Yeah. And how can you even imagine what it would be like in a different place or what skills you need or what tools you need to navigate and live comfortably? You can't imagine that. And you can listen to things that are written in books or guides, but it's only going to take you so far until you just jump in and do it. Yep. Like I did. And like I said, now I know. Won't do that again. Well, you're a pro traveler now and an avid backpack lover, as I know, having seen you with many a fancy backpack. So I see that you've definitely taken those travel fuck ups to heart. Yes. Okay. So tell us a travel story, Sarah. So when I went to England, I was traveling with a friend in Manchester during like a spring break. And a lot of people had flew to different countries for spring break. But me and my friend Martin, we were like, we traveled to England. We studied abroad in England because we want to see England. So we like stayed. So we wandered around the Manchester countryside, which was beautiful. And I, out of everything, I really miss the Manchester countryside. But we were wandering around. So we were walking like eight miles that day. And then we came home and we were like, let's just walk the canals. So we walked the canals too. And we're like dragging it, but neither of us wants to go home and we see a building with like smoke curling out of one of the windows on the top ish floors Mm. and so I whip out my phone to call 999 which is the 911 number in England oh so you're on top of it we didn't know what was going on because the smoke wasn't like it was a weird smoke that's what made us pause it wasn't a billowing like something was heavily on fire but it also wasn't a light oh I burned my dinner kind of fire it was a weird in between and we couldn't figure out if it was like a specific one thing was burning or if it was like the room or whatever. So we're freaking out and trying to figure out what to do because we don't want to report something that isn't an actual fact. Isn't serious or doesn't warrant the call. Yeah. So we're like trying to figure out what kind of a situation this fell into. And down from the street walks a drag queen. And I... At first, because she was far away, I thought she was just someone dressed in really high femme clothing. And I, at that time, I was really freaked out by hyper straight women. (laughs) 
they terrified me and I really didn't like them and I really had a problem with women who dressed super femininely and it was there was a lot of self-hating at the time so I'm not saying this was a good thing to do but it's where I was at the time so I was freaked out that she was a really high femme straight woman I think part of it also was that I was intimidated by people who were either really good at femininity or were able to turn that up to the max right so that was something that was intimidating to me so anyway I was freaked out and then she walks down the street and I realized she's a drag queen and at that time I was also heavily involved in a lot of queer things at ASU so this was like my home like queerness was something that I was really used to and comfortable with and grateful for and so when she approached and she was a drag queen I immediately felt so much relief and my friend was giggling because I don't think he'd ever really encountered anything queer before but for me it was just like oh my god thank you and so I like I went up to her because she was going to go into the building and I like explained to her the situation she was like oh yeah I'll go check and like it was all fine after that but the story for me was was my realization about this was kind of my access point like to understanding femininity right was through a queer lens that was how I did a lot of self-learning and a lot of self-examining and that was also how I started to understand other people was through a queer lens so that was like a really intense and very unexpected moment for me and so I went on to write my undergraduate thesis as you know about that experience and now it's published hey yeah now you're a published author well I'm not an author it's just a it's a little chapter. You're an author. <laughs> it's a chapter in a very large anthology, but it's called Mapping Queer Spaces of Praxis and Pedagogy. I'm in the chapter about queer bodies, and it's a very spatial anthology and queer-oriented and also about teaching. So that was probably my most meaningful experience in England. And it was just a really, it hit me like a truck. The realization that I had was like, this is literally how queer I've become, is that I can't recognize straightness and I am intimidated by it. But give me a queer person and I'm just immediately immediately comfortable. And I don't feel so intimidated by straightness anymore. I get angry at it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not like afraid of it anymore. But I think I'll always feel more comfortable around the gay community for sure. That's my like intense story, I guess. Yeah, it sounds like a really eye-opening moment. You had maybe always or for a while felt those things, but you didn't really come to realize them mm -hmm. until you were in that moment. Maybe being in a different place helped that because if you are just going about your normal life here and you're used to feeling that way you don't recognize yeah. that in yourself as easily the hamster wheel yeah you get used <laughs> yeah. to your routine and it really takes something large to shake it up and like I already was learning a lot in England about how to just live on my own and manage myself right in another country and so yeah I think that's part of it I was already really raw from that experience and just kind of like open to self-examination in a way that I really hadn't been before and so yeah I definitely think that being in another country it was it's a very extreme way of figuring yourself out but <laughs> yeah it definitely contributed I would say for sure yeah I mean it is extreme but I think it's really true that especially when you're traveling for some of the first times the further away you are and the more different a culture is you have a lot of space to learn independence and to learn more about yourself and kind of examine the place that you come from yeah as well as the place you're in right because you see the differences of the people around you if you're in a different place and you're like oh this is very very normal to them but to me we don't do that maybe we just don't eat breakfast that way or whatever the small things are they can be really tiny but they teach you a lot about who you are and the assumptions that you've made about your life and the things that you always just thought were quote-unquote normal or this is a thing
something that is part of my everyday life. So I don't question it. Yeah. But when you see things that are so different and you start questioning them, you also learn a lot about your own individual identity because those things, those day-to-day actions are a part of your identity, whether you did them consciously or not. And you can start to change that and realize, oh, I really like the way they eat breakfast. So that's going to become part of my identity now. And it's simple things. Funny you say that because I drink my tea now with milk 100% of the time. <laughs> I was so enamored by it in England. And I'm a tea drinker from way back, even when I was younger. But I was brought up to drink tea with honey. And now I drink it with milk and no sugar. <laughs> and I have to do that every day. Because when you're in England, did they not have honey? Were you forced to drink it with milk? No, it's just how they do it. It's just their culture. And I'm having a cup right now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but speaking of taking something and then making it part of you. Yeah. Part of it too was when I was growing up, I was already resisting a lot of the norms that were kind of pushed on me. And they're pushed on a lot of women, actually any gender, you have expectations, right? But Mm -hmm. specifically related to femininity, because my family is Mexican, like I said. So there is like a specific way that Mexican culture does femininity. And I was already pushing back against that heavily since I was really young, but I didn't have any way to verbalize how or like understand it, right? It was just kind of like an impulse. It came from someplace deeper. It was more reactive right and when I went to England I was able to take a step back and really consciously figure out who I was and what I wanted from myself my body my expressions right I mm-hmm. figured out I wouldn't say I 100% figured it out while I was in England but England gave me the tools to start thinking about it in a way that I could continue when I came back to the states and went back to school and went back to my queer organizations and friends and just kind of like walked through life after that it sort of got the ball rolling I would say yeah that's incredible traveling can be transformative in that way and in small ways that you don't sometimes even realize at the time sometimes months or years later you realize that there's something that started in you when you were on a trip or learning something new while you're traveling and it carries with you or starts growing after the fact yeah yeah it's definitely like a seed or a push or whatever metaphor works for you but (laughs) yeah it's definitely something that has a large impact on you later on in whatever way So to wrap up, what's your favorite thing about travel, Sarah? My favorite thing about travel, I'd say it's probably the people. Because I spend so much of my traveling with people and also to people, usually they're the reason that I'm going. England being the exception, all the other times I've ever traveled, it's been because I'm going to visit people and hang out with them and maintain those social relationships and that support system. So I would say the people are my biggest, it's definitely the biggest emotional component for me when I travel. That's usually the whole reason. So yep, people. Yeah, people are an amazing reason to travel too. Yeah. Well, lovely. Thank you, Sarah, so much for being on the podcast and telling a great story. Thanks, Heather, for having me. Hey, Globetrotters. Thanks for listening to Transpo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you want more Transpo in your life, you can visit us at transpo.com. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is at transpocast, or email us at transpocast at gmail.com. Also, when you have the chance, please head to transpo.com slash review and leave us an iTunes review so that other listeners can discover our podcast too and get inspired for their next adventure. Thanks for coming along for the journey.